Well, friends, on behalf of the, uh, the team from England, uh, thank you very much for having us uh, with you over the last week and a bit. It's been a, a great joy for us to, to meet you, to get to know you, to see what the Lord is uh, doing among you. And uh, you've been great hosts. And uh, we are all significantly heavier than we were when we arrived. So you've done your jobs well. Um, our topic this morning is understanding God's will. And uh, there is a, an outline inside the, the order of service you were given on your way in. Uh, we're going to be looking at a number of different texts and so to help follow we've put those different verses on the handout for you. So that should help you um, uh, to see what we're doing and what we're looking at. Well let me uh, pray for us as we begin that God would uh, speak to us and, and help us to listen to his word. Our Heavenly Father we thank you for this place. Uh, We thank you for one another. Uh, We thank you for your presence with us as we open the scriptures. Uh, We thank you that you are a God who has plans and purposes for this world and for our lives. And we pray that you would help us this morning as we begin to think about your will. We pray that you would give us understanding and a desire to live in conformity to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of you will know that it was in the uh, mid-1500s that uh, Nicholas Copernicus published his landmark work. Uh, He outlines a new model of the universe. Uh, Copernicus' great discovery was to realise that the earth revolved around the sun and not the other way around. People had believed that the earth was at the centre and the sun and everything else revolved around the, the earth. And it became known as the Copernican Revolution. And it changed everything. It didn't just change how we understand the planets. It was more significant. We discovered that as uh, people on this planet, we weren't at the centre of our solar system. The sun was. And so there was a big mind shift that needed to take place. Well, as we come to know God in Christ as we begin to seek to live for Jesus we have a similar mind shift Uh, when we come to hear of Jesus we discover that the centre of the universe is God Uh, the centre of our lives is God and not us Uh, we so easily live as if we were at the centre as if we were in the middle of everything And yet we come to learn that actually God is the one who's at the centre. And so as Christians, one of our responsibilities now is to learn what it means to put God at the centre. To live for him. And part of that involves living in accordance to his will. And putting his will before our own. So that's what we're thinking about this morning. And the first thing we're going to look at is the nature of God's will. Uh, It is wonderful to know that God is a God who has a will. He has plans. God is not uh, presiding over this universe with no clue as to what he's going to do with it. He has a plan. He has a purpose for everything he has made. And he is working all things out according to that plan. I don't know if any of you uh, watched the TV show Lost when it was out. Anyone watch Lost? 
Um, it's one of those TV shows where they, they give you a certain amount of information at the start, but there's so much you don't know. And each series they, they reveal a bit more and then you realise there's a whole bunch of other stuff that they still haven't told you. And you watch series by series thinking, I'm clueless as to how all of this is going to tie up. And if you watched it right through to the end, you began to realise that the writers were also clueless as to how it was all going to tie up. They were clearly making it up as they went. Uh, God is not like that. He knows the end from the beginning. Uh, He has a plan. God has a will, but we are not told all the details of God's will. So, uh, Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, tells us, uh, if you look at it on on the sheets there, Uh, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. Uh, So there are two types of thing, according to this verse. There are are secret things that God knows and he hasn't told us about. And there are revealed things that God knows and he has told us about. And so when we think about God's will, we need to bear in mind that some of God's will he's not told us. Uh, other aspects of God's will he has told us about. So we're going to begin by thinking about God's secret will. And this is the side of the equation that we don't get to see as God's creatures. Uh, the fact that there are things in God's plans and purposes he hasn't told us is not seek- it, it isn't suspicious. Uh, it's not that God is kind of dubious and he's got to kind of keep some things hidden away. It just means that some things are classified. Uh, They belong to God. Uh, They're things that are his department. uh, Things we don't need to know about. And that is because God is the one who's the creator. We're not. And the right response to this, the right response to knowing that there are some things God knows that we don't know, the right response is humility. It should humble us. Uh, Just have a look at those verses from James 4 on the outline. James says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will... We will live and do this or that. Uh, James is speaking to people who make plans, which I take it as most of us. Uh, You who say today or tomorrow we will do this, we will go there. Uh, It's the language of anyone who has to make plans. It's part and parcel of everyday life for us. Uh, For some of us it's a, a... a stage in our our career or in our life that we're planning and we think, well, I've got a few more years until retirement and then we're going to move somewhere else. Or it might be in your job you need to think in terms of I need to do some business over in that part of town and then I'm going to move and do some business over there. But all of us have to make these kinds of plans. On Tuesday I'm going to do this, on Thursday I'm going to go and meet up with that person. It is ordinary, sensible planning. But James says there's a danger And the danger is we forget that all of it is contingent on God's will. James tells us something very uncomfortable. 
in these verses, he says, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Uh, We need to make plans in this world, it's part of life, but we need to remember that we don't know the future. We have no idea, actually, what is going to happen. And on one level we recognise this, we'll uh, check the weather reports, we'll look at the traffic reports, all those sorts of things. But actually we need to remind ourselves we're not in control of our lives. God is. You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. And then James asks an even more unsettling question. He says, what is your life? That's a very good question, isn't it? What is your life? If someone was to write a biography of you, what would you want the title to be? Just imagine someone was to write a biography of you, what would you want the title to be? If you could choose the title of the story of your life, what would it be? I guess we can think of all sorts of things. The devoted servant. Uh, Whatever it might be. Uh, Listen to how James answers that question for us. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We tend to think of ourselves as being at the centre and we divide history into before me and since me. It's just the way we look at reality. But James says, you're a mist. So if you're having a a hot shower uh, in your bathroom and it it fogs up the, the mirror or it fogs up the glass, it is only a few moments before that, that little mist disappears. Uh, you won't know this because you live in, in Malaysia, but back in England, uh, when it's cold for most of the year, I'll, uh, I'll get into my car first thing and I'll realise I can't see out of the windscreen. It's completely misted up. And so I'll turn on the, the ignition, I'll roll down the windows, I'll put on the heater. We don't have air conditioning in our cars, we don't need that. We have heaters. And in just a few moments you see the mist disappear and you've got a clear view. And James says that that is what life is like. That is our life. That is you. What are you? You're a mist. You're here for a bit and then you're gone. And yet we plan everything we do as if it is deeply significant. We need to remember that God has a will. He has a secret will. We don't know what is going to happen. We're not the centre. God is. And so James says, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now James is not saying that we just have to to treat those as magic words and every time we make a plan we have to say, God willing, as if, you know, it's not a magic formula. It's an attitude. James isn't saying you shouldn't make plans. It's it's wise to make plans. But it is also wise to make plans knowing that actually God is the one who's in control and we're not. He is God. So Proverbs 16 verse 9 says to us, 
In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And so this humility that helps us to trust God will help us to trust him with the things that we don't know. We can't see the rationale behind everything that God does. Uh, We know that God is working all things out according to his purposes. We don't always get to see how God is doing that. We don't know how it all fits together. Uh, Claudia, when she was giving her testimony, mentioned uh, that family from our church she went on holiday with. Uh, It's a lovely Christian family, a husband and a wife, uh, and a son and a daughter. The son has very severe autism and needs round-the-clock care. And his dad was a great godly man who looked after his boy. And it was whilst his boy was struggling, swimming in the sea, that his dad went in to rescue him, and his dad drowned, saving his son. We don't know why God did that. We know God's in control. We know he's doing all things according to his purposes. We don't know why he allows certain things to happen. And so we need to be humble before God's will. Uh, people have often compared God's plans, his, uh, his unfolding purposes to a tapestry. Uh, if you've ever seen a tapestry, it can be a, a beautiful sort of picture of, of some scene or some unfolding situation. But if you ever turn it the other way up, you see all the knots, all the loose ends, all the stitching, and it's a mess. And the view we have of God's will is often the reverse side of the tapestry. We see the loose ends, we see the knots, we see what seems to us to be chaotic, but from God's side, it is a perfect, integrated whole. So God's secret will means that we should be humble. And when we're planning our own lives, we need to keep reminding ourselves God is the one in control. But then we think about God's revealed will and we remember that there is so much God has shown us about his will. Uh, God has told us that the final purpose to which he is moving all things is that everything in this universe would be integrated and united under the rule of Jesus Christ. Uh, We learn that in Ephesians 1 verse 10. God has told us that. That's the final destination for everything everything under Jesus Christ. We know as well that God's plan for us in the meantime is to become like Jesus. And so if our response to God's secret will is humility, our response to God's revealed will is responsibility. Responsibility to know it, to understand it, to know the scriptures for ourselves and a responsibility to live in the light of it. God has a plan. It is the honour and glory of his Son, Jesus Christ. If that is where God is taking everything, we need to line up our lives so that we are living in conformity to that plan. Uh, There's a story, I think it's a true story, of a, a, a battleship that was out doing some exercises one day out in the sea and it was a very heavy weather there was a lot of fog and it was dark 
and so it was very hard to see what was going on. But someone on the bridge reported a light off to the right. What is that port or starboard? In starboard, you would know, starboard. Port, uh, reported there was a light off to starboard. And so the captain said, well, if we continue on the same course, we're going to collide. Tell them uh, to change their course 20 degrees. And a reply came back, uh, no, you change 20 degrees. Uh, the captain felt a little bit frustrated and so he said to this other place, no, 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 I'm a captain, you change your course 20 degrees. The other person replied, I'm a seaman second class, you change your course 20 degrees. Uh, by this stage the captain was furious and he said, I'm a battleship, you change your course 20 degrees. And the reply came, I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> you change your course 20 degrees. Uh, the fact is God has a plan and he has a purpose. If we don't line up with it, we will crash against it. God's revealed will is the honour of Jesus. We need to line up with his will. Well, as we think about trying to live in the light of God's will, we have a wonderful example of it in the life of Jesus. So the second thing for us to think about is the model of God's will. Jesus is the perfect model of obedience to God the Father. As we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, we see someone who models that commitment to the will of God the Father. Uh, we see that in Jesus' perspective. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 34, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is committed to doing the will of God the Father. But he shows us in that verse, it's not just a, a hobby of his. That's not just a pastime, you know, I'm into to, uh, cycling and uh, uh, playing squash and I like doing God's will. Uh, nor is it just a job for Jesus, like a nine to five thing. It's more than that. He says it's his food. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, to do the will of God the Father. In other words, what Jesus hankers after, the very thing he was built for, what he craves, what he longs to be satisfied by, what nourishes him, is doing the Father's will. He calls it his food. Now, got to know Malaysians fairly well, I have learnt something about the relationship you have with food. It's wonderful. Uh, it is, I think, impossible to do anything with anyone in Malaysia without food being involved at some point. Uh, it's been great uh, trying out all the different kinds of food that are, uh, is available over here. Uh, we love food. We need food. It's not just something that is, is necessary. It's a pleasure. And the same goes for God's will. Jesus says it's his food. It's not just a duty, actually it's a great pleasure to be following the will of God the Father. 
Uh, Jesus continues in John 5 by saying, I've not come down from heaven to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now that's amazing given who Jesus was, the eternal Son of God. And yet he very consciously sees his life in the light of what the Father has for him to do. And therefore Jesus negates his own will and submits to the Father's will. And that is the same for us. If we commit ourselves to following the Father's will, we're committing ourselves to not following our will. Uh, When we get to the Lord's Prayer and we pray, your will be done, we are also praying, may my will not be done. And we see this actually in the way that Jesus prayed. Uh, That reading we had from Mark chapter 14 shows us this. Uh, The night uh, he was betrayed, uh, about to be handed off and and tortured, Jesus prayed. And we're told that he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Uh, What is about to happen to Jesus is that he is about to die for the penalty of our sins. The prospect of going to the cross causes him deep distress. Uh, He doesn't go in sort of with a stiff upper lip. Uh, He is in deep distress and so he prays. He comes to the Father and he calls him Abba Father. And because of what Jesus is about to do, we can now call Abba Father, God Abba Father ourselves. He prays that God would take his cup. There is a cup before Jesus that stands for the judgment of God against sin. Jesus is desperate not to drink that cup. And so he prays, if it is possible, take this cup from me. But the next thing he prays, is yet not what I will, but what you will. His deeper longing, even deeper than avoiding the cup, is that he would do the Father's will. However much the cross filled him with dread, his greatest desire was to do the will of his Father. And so he prayed, not what I will, but what you will. And again, he is a model to us in submitting to God's will. Actually, it's a great reminder of what prayer is about. Prayer is not about me trying to get God to do what I want. Prayer is about me aligning myself with God's priorities. Praying that I would do what he wants. Jesus prays that the Father's will would be done. Uh, It's easy to treat prayer like room service, isn't it? To think, well, dear God, here are the things that I'd quite like today. Uh, Please give them to me. But actually in our prayer we should be burdened with what matters most to God and we should be praying your will, not mine, your will be done. And it is great, as we follow Jesus, he doesn't just tell us to do something, he does it himself. The same Jesus who teaches us to pray your will be done embodies that in his own life. And so when we pray, your will be done, we are following in the very footsteps of Jesus who prayed that himself. So the model of God's prayer, and then finally this morning, sorry, the model of God's will, 
Uh, finally, this morning, we look at the priorities of God's will. Uh, I've come up with five verses from the New Testament that talk directly about what God's will is for us as his people. I thought it would be good to to quickly go through these. Uh, The first thing uh, on this sheet that God wants from our lives is our sanctification. So 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 It is God's will that you should be sanctified and avoid sexual immorality. Uh, To be sanctified means to become holy. It means to become like Jesus. And that is what God wants for you. That is God's will for you. God's will is that you would become holy, that you would become like Jesus. Uh, Many of us often uh, struggle to know what God's will is for our lives, don't we? We wonder, what is God's will? What does he want? Well, it tells us here, God wants us to become holy. Anything that will lead you away from becoming like Jesus is not God's will. And in particular, God wants us to avoid sexual immorality. The verse says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Okay, that is God's will. We don't need dreams to know that. We don't need visions. We don't need writing in the sky. We don't need a still small voice. We don't need to put out a fleece. We don't need angels popping up and telling us. God's will is steer clear of situations that lead you into sin. Because his will is that you be holy. For some of us that means we need to think about our use of the internet. When we look at it and what sites we go to. For some of us it will involve thinking about how much alcohol we drink. For some of us it will involve thinking about how we conduct our relationships if we're romantically involved with someone. For some of us it will involve us thinking about what we watch on cable TV. For some of us it will involve thinking about which social invitations it would be good not to accept. In all of these different areas and and many more we've got to understand God's will is is that we be holy. Second thing is our contentment. God's will for us is to be content. It's a good one, isn't it? We're quite happy with that one. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Uh, We are to be joyful at all times because our joy is to be in God himself. Jesus is to be our greatest joy. If he is our greatest joy, we can be joyful always. doesn't mean we don't get fed up or frustrated with different things that go on. But it does mean that our ultimate joy, our deepest joy, is in him. Uh, It is easy for us in our culture today to be cynical. Uh, We have a, a great hobby in England, it's called complaining. If there was an Olympic event, we would uh, be gold medalists. It is very easy for us to focus on what we don't have and to forget what God has given us. 
Uh, we need to be thankful for the things he's given us. It is easy for us to get into the mindset that more stuff, more possessions will make us happier. And we know that's not true because we thought getting the stuff we now have would make us happier and it hasn't. God's will is that we be content in him whether we have plenty or whether we are in want. God's will is that we not be bitter about the hand we've been dealt with. Not jealous of what other people are up to or having but to be thankful for the Lord's goodness to us. His will is for us to be content in him well we might think well that's easy for you to say Paul but we need to remember Paul wasn't writing these letters from a lovely beach house on the coast Uh, Paul very often was beaten to within an inch of his life he spent many years chained and imprisoned and yet that Paul can say be joyful always our contentment, our wisdom. God's will is for us to be thoughtful about how we use the opportunities and times that God has given us. So Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Uh, God's will is for us to take care in how we use our lives. Not just to sort of bumble along, but to think carefully. The days, Paul says, are evil. It is very easy for us to live foolishly, not thinking about what we're doing with our lives. No, we're to make the most of every opportunity. God's will is for us to think about that to think about the opportunities we have in these days, how we can best serve him, his people and this world. And so we need to think about the resources that God has given each one of us and how we can uh, best use them. For some of us that might be time that we have, that we can use. For some of us it might be our homes that God has given us, that we could use wisely in these times. For some of us, it might be our family. God has given us perhaps a a stable, uh, easy-going family that would be great to, to have other people join and be involved with. It might be particular skills we've got, ways in which we can put them to good use in these days. It might be a listening ear, For some of us it might be an experience that we've been through that can be used by God to help others in a similar situation. What are the things that I have been given by God and in these dark days, how can I most wisely use them? Or think about the people you have access to. The people God has given you contact with. Uh, your family, obviously, anyone that you, you live with, uh, the people you work with, maybe some of the people nearby where you live on your street or on your block. How can I use those relationships, those contacts, for God's glory in these days? 
So God's will for us is to make the most of every opportunity, to think about the areas we have, the opportunities we have. Um, God's will involves our worship. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Paul says that our worship to God is to give him all of life. To lay our all before him. And so while it's true to say that we come to church to worship God, it is also true to say that we leave church to worship God. Our whole lives are to be given to him as a sacrifice, given to his use. And Paul says that will involve having our minds renewed, learning to think differently. And the result of that... Uh, Romans 12 verse 2 is that we will be able to test and approve what God's will is. We'll be able to discern God's will as we learn to think differently. Uh, How many of you have heard of Oxfam? Kind of aid charity. Um, A while ago they had a, a sort of advertising campaign and their slogan was you can either give a man a fish or you can teach him how to fish. Anyone remember that? And it's the whole difference between charity and development. Charity is giving someone what they need. Development is giving someone the means so that they can get what they need for themselves. Someone is not happy out there, are they? Bless them. Now, this bit matters very much, so please uh, try to, to, to concentrate. When it comes to God's will... We want God to tell us what to do, don't we? We want God to give us the answers. If we've got decisions to be made about our jobs, our homes, our families, we want direct revelation. We want God to say, now this is what you're going to do. Take that job, marry that person, live in that place. Are you listening? This matters. Doesn't worry about the girl crying. Pay attention to this. Uh, In other words, we want God to give us the fish. God wants us to learn how to be wise. God wants us to learn how to think his way about our lives. God doesn't want to give us the fish, he wants to teach us how to fish. And so often God doesn't tell us what to decide, he tells us how to make the decision. Now that's frustrating for us because if you're faced with a decision we want to open the Bible and to see a verse that says this is what you need to do. But instead God wants us to learn how to think in his ways for our minds to be renewed. That is how we can begin to discern God's will. So we're not always told what to decide. We are told how to make the decision. We're given God's priorities. And then he teaches us how to plan those, uh, how to apply those priorities to our lives. Okay, final thing as we close is our security. 
Uh, two things are true of us if we are Christian. The first thing is that we want to live in accordance with God's will, don't we? We don't always express that desire perfectly. Uh, sometimes it's a little inconsistent. But the deepest desire in our hearts, if we're Christians, is that we want to live in accordance to God's will. That's the first thing that's true of all of us. The second thing that's true of all of us is that very often we don't. Uh, We don't live in accordance to God's will. Uh, And it grieves us when we let God down. And yet we have great security in Christ. Uh, Listen to what Jesus says in John 5, verse 40. He says, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. I've never noticed this before, but it's going to be Jesus who raises us up on the last day. Uh, When we come to be physically resurrected at the end, it will be Jesus who raises us up. And that is wonderful because... Jesus always, always does the Father's will. And here he tells us that it is the Father's will for Jesus to raise us up. And so we can have great security in him. We may feel very weak as Christians. As we look over the last week, our Christian lives may have been full of all kinds of blunders and mistakes, all kinds of sin. But God's will is that as we look to the Son, as we keep trusting in Jesus for forgiveness, we will have eternal life and Jesus will raise us up because that is God's will. We look to the Son, God's will is that we have eternal life in the end. What wonderful security we have knowing that that is God's will for us as we look to Jesus. Well, let's pray. I don't like my sermons to make people cry. I know Andrews often do, but uh, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for what we've been able to, to think about this morning. We thank you that you have a plan. We thank you that you know the end from the beginning. We thank you that you've told us that plan is to have Jesus exalted. And we praise you for him. Father, we thank you that as we look at Jesus... We see someone who lived perfectly in accordance with your will. Please help us to follow his example, to keep praying that your will would be done, not ours. And we thank you for those aspects of your will for our lives that we can see in the scriptures. And we pray that as we uh, continue to reflect on these verses, they would shape us, they would shape our priorities, they would shape what matters most to us, what we get most excited about, most concerned about, And we praise you, our Father, that in Christ, as we look to him, we have security that your will is that we be raised up and that we have eternal life. We praise you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.